What is up, fellow thermonuclear AFers? I am Gamp Valley coming at you with a solo podcast, the first one in a while, I believe, but maybe not. I have some awards predictions for you. Wanted to explain my title pick above all, which people who listen to this and watch me know that I've been laboring over it for quite some time. Before we cannonball into that, though, I uh, just wanted to remind, beg, and plead, implore with you to continue subscribing to us wherever you consume us. If you're on YouTube, hit that subscribe button, like, and comment on every video to help the algorithm love us back. That means a ton. Um, also, subscribe and download every episode over wherever you get any of your podcasts, Spotify, Apple, Stitcher, Google, whatever. Um, that helps us out a ton. Retweet our promos on Twitter. Recommend us to friends, family members, acquaintances, randos on social media who you know like basketball but also really love listening to shitty basketball takes. Um, that would mean a lot too. anything to help us continue growing the community around these parts. And a quick thank you to everyone for helping us get to 2000 subs on YouTube. I think we're at, I don't know, we're over that 2.01, whatever they say. Now it happened over the weekend. We reached it before the regular season, very small milestone. Still, I'm very appreciative of it. And let's continue to grow the community again, genuinely appreciate every single person who's reached out, commented, subscribed, all of you, you rock genuinely. Let's get to the point where I guess I piss people off by being genuine in what I'm trying to pick. I will start with my title pick um, because I think I'm going to go the longest on that. I'm going to try and blow through the actual awards and might even publish that separately. We'll see how it goes. Um, I've been laboring over this a ton. And I, when you look at this landscape this year, uh, I think you can see legitimately uh, more than half a dozen teams that you can talk yourself into, oh, if, if this goes right, they can win the championship. You look at in the East, Boston. Um, you also have Milwaukee is going to be right there. You also have Miami is going to be right there. Uh, you have Philadelphia is going to be right there. That's four people right from the Eastern Conference already. And we haven't even gotten to, well, what if Brooklyn stays together? The Cavs just traded for Donovan Mitchell. How good are the Raptors this year? They're going to be one of those swing teams. Then you go to the West. Phoenix is still hanging around. They're a little bit more shallow, but if they're healthy, they should still be there. Golden State just won the title. They're trying to straddle two timelines. Maybe that gets awkward when they're trying to develop the kids. They should still be really good. Memphis, missing Jaron Jackson Jr. Didn't add a ton, invested in youth development. They still won 56 games last year. The Clippers and the Nuggets both got a lot healthier. And so if they remain relatively healthy, what do they look like? Minnesota, training for Rudy Gobert. I wouldn't necessarily mention these teams in the title conversation or this one specifically, but just what do the Pelicans look like? I just think they're going to be a lot better than people are expecting, but also that might be the cliche now. I think we've reached the point where that is the overused take. And so I boiled it down to this, just to to like, just no bones about it. The teams that I have coming out of either conference, and my confidence level isn't necessarily high on this, is Milwaukee in the East, and that's based off a trust level, and maybe it shouldn't be, with Pat Connaughton dealing with this injury early on. Chris Middleton going to miss time with that wrist stuff. What does Brooke Lopez look like after dealing with the back injury for most of last year? Their depth is there, but it's also questionable in the sense of, oh, they really need Javon Carter and or Wes Matthews and or George Hill to do something. Does Marjon Brocham need to play a role right away? Does, do they need something from, from Serge Ibaka? They, they have Giannis, though, and they have Drew, and Middleton will be fine once he comes back. I think they're probably the least combustible team in the East at this point when you look at the injuries to Boston in the front court. What does James Harden look like in Philly? Though I came very close to picking Philly over Milwaukee, not going to lie there. But Boston or Philly, those are the two teams that I probably wouldn't argue if you're picking over or try to make a case against. And then just hovering on the fringes, Toronto. I just don't trust Brooklyn. I understand people are going to pick Brooklyn. I, I don't trust Brooklyn. Cleveland, those teams, maybe you feel some kind of way about Atlanta. Um, I went with Milwaukee, though, and then out in the West, it came down to Golden State and Denver. 
for me. I went with Denver. So I have Milwaukee and to have Denver come out of the West. Um, it's, it's bold. They feel like there's a level of stability there that might not be elsewhere. Yeah. Jamal Murray and Michael Porter Jr. Coming back from these injuries, but Nicole Jokic and Iron Man, you can trust his health more than you are with Kawhi Leonard in um, Los Angeles with the Clippers at this point. Who have some, they will probably be the most popular title pick, and I get it. I just need to see it last a full season. And do they have, did, did John Wall give them enough sort of, you know, change of pace oomph and enough playmaking and what ends up being their best playoff unit? Did they go too far in the downsized direction? I, I don't think that they did, but that's just among the questions that I do, that I think anyone will have. And then it's just like, I don't know. Having Memphis in here, I feel like they're going to take a step back for the sake of the bigger picture and that they did that by design. Dallas, Luca's great. They just don't have enough around him. The Suns, I look, I've been I picked the Suns to win the last two titles, and one of those at least came relatively close. So I didn't look like a fucking moron after it happened. It was the first season with CP3. I picked them to win the title. There's just something's weird, man. You don't extend Cam Johnson. The DeAndre Ayton, Monty Williams stuff has probably been overblown, but just even there's the top five on that roster, and then a whole not a whole lot of bankability after that. If we assume Jay Crowder isn't traded, but also isn't with the team, and so what does that become? They do have a, a fairly substantial trade in them because they have all their draft equity, but when you have to go into a season banking on that. I think it's an issue. So I land with the Nuggets there, whose offense will be fantastic, and I think have improved enough defensively. And that gets us to Denver and Milwaukee in the finals. I'm picking the Denver Nuggets as my 2023 NBA champions. I'm not doing it to be trendy. I'm not doing it to prove that I watch basketball and can scream that, oh, Nikola Jokic is actually good on defense. And so I'm flush in the face and the biceps like he is by the 647 mark of the, the first quarter. When you just look at him at the free throw line, I get worried. So flush there. It's not me trying to live on the edge. And I talked about to DNVR's Adamatas about this when he came on the Nuggets Look Ahead pod. He made me feel a little bit better about the team when I was concerned about some of their, their defensive woes, some of their depth questions. And I still do have a lot of depth questions with them. I'm going to believe that Michael Malone will not run these all-bench units into the ground and then overplay DeAndre Jordan. I want, I'm going to believe that he staggers the stars, even if it's just giving MPJ minutes with... Um, Bones Highland, and then a bunch of the rest of the bench players. I think that matters. What I really feel here comes down to two things for me is just the Nuggets, what they actually were for a brief second when they had Jamal Murray, Aaron Gordon, Michael Porter Jr., and Nicole Jokic, and then getting to the overarching question of can you build a defense that is good enough around Nicole Jokic uh, to win an NBA championship? And so you look at the first one. They were just, they were slaughtering opponents with those four on the court together uh, two years ago. It was a very small sample size. They just make so much sense together. And now you plug KCP into that. Someone who's going to give you a different looks of point of attack defense. Someone who's going to space the floor. Maybe we'll just give you some, you know, just life in transition. Also, maybe some questionable decisions when he's there too. Uh, th those five just really fit together and easily feel like they'll be their best unit. But if they don't, if they're not, if you need to give it a different look, Bruce Brown is just sitting there on the bench. So you can sort of toggle around here. Are we taking, it's probably Michael Porter Jr., the one who's removable. Um, if you really wanted to lean into offense, you could take out Aaron Gordon and go with Bones Highland, uh, play with the two small guards, have KCP, Jokic, and then Michael Porter Jr. There's a lot of different things that they can do with the top seven players or so on their roster. And when I get to the question of the defense, the Nuggets have, they've had one top 10 defense since Nicole Jokic has been in the league. That's per B ball ref. I didn't go and look at the outside the garbage time. Um, I think they've only ranked 
better than 15th twice. There was a season where they were 10th and the season where they were 12th. I look at the personnel that they've had, the availability of some of that personnel that they've had, and I'm just not sold that Nikola Jokic is this huge issue in the playoffs. When you get to a postseason series, yes, there are going to be there are teams that are just better at targeting you. And if they can like get him on skates or having to get him run around in the middle of the court of no man's land, like things could end up being tough for him. I just don't think there are a lot of teams that are built to do that this year. And if they are, like a lot of those teams might play just slower in the half court to the point where it gives the Nuggets time to choose their matchups or to get Jokic in the right position. He's always been good at being in the right place. And then he also just has really good hands, which can be good for, for forcing turnovers or even if you think that he's going to get beat. But the bigger difference here is for me, you have Bruce Brown, Kentavious Caldwell-Pope, and Aaron Gordon. And if you need to give yourself these different looks, Davon Reed is sitting around there too. If you really just need to skew to... um to these all like defense, everything lineups, if that's what you need to test out. I think, and look, a lot of people have been ahead of this. The DNVR folks, Zach Lowe, um, Jamal Murray, when he was healthy, played some tough defense before like that, that ACL injury. And so the Denver Nuggets best lineup, if we're thinking about it, their starting unit might really only have one seriously below average defender. And that's a Michael Porter Jr. Who was a defensive playmaker at one point before his back injury, where it was, you could help uh, trust him to give you some help, just rim protection or make plays around the basket. Not someone that you trusted a ton in one-on-one situations. I don't know what he looks like after his latest back injury, um, but the shot making is divine enough. And again, you have the option of pulling him and putting Bruce Brown out there. So all of a sudden there's KCP, Bruce Brown and Aaron Gordon. And those are however you feel about Murray and Jokic. Like those are just three decidedly, above average defenders who can kind of go up and down the the positional spectrum, especially when you look at Gordon and then even Bruce Brown has always been able to defend up according to his size, maybe KCP less so, but like having those two players there in Gordon and Brown, and then even just a version of Murray where no, you don't need him to go after the other team's best guards or play on point guards. But that was something he could do and could navigate screens to get through them to like, so I very much trust this defense more than I did you know, last year, clearly when they they weren't a title contender, but more than I did entering the preseason after watching just a little bit of the preseason and everyone who listens to this knows I'm not like a huge preseason guy. I think I was just so up in my feelings about the Nuggets that I was looking for a reason not to pick them. And I don't want to go against the grain for the sake of going against the grain. That's not what I'm doing here. I just look at them and the way that they're built, the top seven specifically of this roster And I think even if you're not crazy about how the bench plays in the regular season, if they're even relatively healthy, it might not matter. And the other thing, this is not something he predicted, but that Adam Adas had mentioned to me that also made me think about this a little bit more is if Michael Porter Jr. is playing really well, I don't want to say it's unimportant. I don't think they need him to win the title because you need him to bring your offense to a different dimension, and you might not even need him to do that. If you have Jamal Murray and Nicole Jokic, your offense is just going to be fucking fantastic, better than fucking fantastic. It was fantastic with Jokic on the court without those two dudes last year. And that, you know, diminishing your dependence on Michael Porter Jr. makes you feel even more comfortable on this. But also, if he's playing really well, and there needs to be some sort of change up in the middle of the year, and there's a team willing to take on his deal, the Nuggets are not out of hands to play at the trade deadline. I wouldn't predict it, and I do think teams would be worried about his medicals, even if he's playing really well, but if they wanted to divest him into defensive help, that's something they could do. Or take a step further, Bones Highland, I guess maybe the hype, you know, I wouldn't pick him to win sixth man of the year just because I don't trust the way that 
one, I guess Malone runs the bench, but it's just when you have Murray, MPJ, and Jokic, how how much agency over the offense for how long is Bones going to going to get? How many minutes is he going to play? So the the hype trade might be a little bit on the hyperbolic side at this point, but like that's someone who should intrigue teams that are selling. And if there's a move out there to be made to bring in a high end wing or a three point five or a true three, however you want to frame it. And they can put him on the table and they have some contracts where you can make the salaries match. I'm not advocating for it. I want to see what this group is, but they're despite their limited draft equity moving forward, they're not out of hands to play there. And when you have one of the five best players in basketball and Nicole Jokic, I sometimes feel like we're overthinking this. Then we're worried about can his defense hold up in the playoffs. It's similar. It's well, it's not similar. I'm not going to make that point. People get pissed off. It's do they have enough talent in, in front of him? around him to optimize what he does best and to paper over what he does worse. And I think when it comes to papering over what he might do, like what he does the least, that could technically be an issue. But looking at the sheer talent they have around him, being able to play Aaron Gordon and KCP at once, but also with Bruce Brown and knowing that if those are your three, you just play Nicole Jokic and Jamal Murray and your offense is going to be fine. That gives me a lot more confidence in this team. When I'm looking at matchups that could actually scare me, for them, I I think about the Clippers a little bit and their ability to downsize, but I was talking to Light Years of Samus Vindiari, and he made this great point. He made it on his podcast, the Light Years podcast as well, that when you look at the Clippers, like their wings aren't explosive, explosive. And I do think that if Kawhi and Paul George want to go after Jokic you know, in the pick and roll, in the half court, um, their bread and butters, if they want to get to the middle of the court, like that's probably something, especially Kawhi, that... Yeah, that could prove problematic for LA. You don't play Jokic off the floor in that scenario, though, because when you don't have all this explosion or necessarily athleticism on the wings or heyday athleticism, let's call it, because like Robert Covington, Marcus Morris Sr., uh, Nicholas Batum, like none of them were the most athletic guys to begin with, but they're in, you know in their post primes at this point. Again, super deep team, uh, and but the Nuggets are still going to have mismatches at the other end. I thought about Golden State. Um, I think that the Nuggets match up with them better than they did last year, and that's kind of low-hanging fruit when you have a Michael Porter Jr. and Jamal Murray back, especially offensively. Defensively, though, just having Gordon, Bruce Brown, and KCP to get your different looks um, with Steph and Clay and everything that they do off the ball. Golden State can counter then by going, if they want to throw Jordan Poole into that equation, is their defense able to, to withstand that? Because Poole's been a defensive liability. I think that is a matchup I wouldn't feel great about, but it's not one that, if the Nuggets are at full strength with some of the talent that they've added, that I would be so worried about where it's, oh, they can't beat this team. And it's ditto for the Clippers. And then after that, it's like, there are some lineups that the Pelicans come around there. I'm not going to lie. That would terrify the shit out of me. If I were the Nuggets, um, I think they could be a, like a possibly weird matchup if they're playing Minnesota and then it's Regal Baron Carlton Towns against Jokic and like, they better not play DeAndre Jordan in that scenario, but can, does that where Zeke Naji becomes important? Um, but even like having Aaron Gordon as your de facto four in there, if MPJ is your three, or just having both of them, I think you get by when you're going punch for punch with their best units. And I think you have no fewer than two guys on this team that you feel comfortable saying, well, they have two of these half court outside in creation weapons. Like we can handle that. Like between Aaron Gordon and uh, KCP specifically, KCP was a little bit more up and down last year. I think than people credit that might also describe his entire career. You have Bruce Brown. You could throw in there. You have Devon Reed. Or again, I, I think that Jamal Murray, I'm not like, I don't want him defending the best players on the other team, but 
he gets you to a point if he's healthy with the way that he can fight and compete and be physical on defense isn't going to get like, you know, checked into oblivion on screens um, or caught off guard by them and he can get through them, around them, over them, whatever. Like he could really do that, that all. I, I, I just feel like they have just enough. And if you're a team that I can envision being the 13th best defense in the league this season, with the talent they have, if they're going to be relatively healthy, we might be looking at a team that's the best regular season record, but then also just becomes like this juggernaut in the playoffs. I think that's what ultimately differentiates them from if we wanted to go the Utah Jazz route, where they finished with the best record in the league in 2020-2021. Last year, they, they fall off or whatever, but once they get to the playoffs, they're considered this paper tiger. I think it very much had to do with what they had in front of, around, behind Rudy Gobert defensively. And now the Nuggets have plugged, to me, at least on paper, a bunch of those issues with Nikola Jokic, who I also just don't think was this categorical liability to begin with, even when we get to the postseason. There are, I'd be worried about Golden State's guards going after him, of course, for them. Like that would terrify me more than more than anything with the way that they have. It's not even just like going after the Nuggets and um like th- th- there's just like a lot of I don't know, like a lot of yo-yo-ness to the way that the Warriors guards can play both on and off the ball. Like the movement is so East, West, North, South, pinball-y all over the place that I could see it giving them real issues. And I, you know, I don't necessarily feel that way about a lot of the other teams in the West. Um, like I said, because of some of the depth in New Orleans, I can maybe see that. Uh, and just the Zion matchup doesn't seem like it's particularly great for Denver. But you even look at if they were to match up with Milwaukee in the, the finals, I don't view there as being anything other than a Giannis stopper. But having Gordon, Aaron Gordon in that series is a luxury a lot of other teams wouldn't have. And then you worry about Drew and Chris Middleton. Um, KCP is going to help you out on at least one of those assignments. There will be stretches where I think uh, Bruce Brown can help you there too, but where Jamal Murray can survive if he's healthy on a Drew Holiday. So this team questions depth. I'm taking a gamble here, but I don't feel confident enough in any other team's chances. I come very close to Milwaukee, and their depth is just a little bit confusing to me. Where I'm asking, oh, can the Nuggets hit on the defense with very much this proven personnel, there's Milwaukee's depth. And I'm just sort of wondering, well, how reliant are they going to be on some of these guys? Uh, like, uh, again, how, how good do you need Javon Carter to be or certain? Like we know their top six feel pretty certain um, their starting lineup, or I guess maybe he wouldn't, it depends on how you feel about Connaughton, Middleton, Brooke Lopez, Giannis, Drew and Bobby Porter's. Maybe you feel really good about their top six, um, but like having to be reliant on West or Serge Ibaka, Javon Carter, um, Joe Ingles not playing until the middle of the year, and what does he look like upon return, especially on defense? I don't want Bucks fans to take that as a slight. I just picked them to come out of the East and make the you know one of the, the two teams standing, but I, that's a real concern for me. So the Nuggets are my 22-23 title pick. That is why I'm still a little bit not so confident about it and incoherent on it, but that's just what I'm settling on because I needed to get something on paper that could be trolled later. As for the rest of the awards, um, I'll do this. I have this uh, thing set up where you can look at the awards as I go on YouTube. If you'd like to, I'll unveil. I went five deep for each award and then 10 for MVP just just because. It's really only three and five, respectively, normally. But um, uh, I just there are a lot of names that I considered for these. Uh, but I wanted to get something on paper so that people can make fun of me later. Uh, I will not be doing all NBA at this point. I haven't given it enough thought, and I kind of just increasingly feel like I don't want to do those leading into the season. That's more of a fun, like, midseason exercise. Um, and also, you know, if you do player rankings and stuff, like you can kind of discern what your all NBA predictions would be. So we'll begin with coach of the year here. And I, I think the other thing that I think is, like, important 
if you're in the top five of consideration for these awards, it's a big deal. It's not an insult. If you want to get on me about snubs, I think even in MVP, if I'm predicting you finish top 10 on the MVP ballot, maybe you should be concerned because I suck and, and, and I'm an idiot. But finishing the top 10 on the MVP ballot is like a legitimately big deal. And I just don't think that we should lose sight of that. So I guess I'll unveil my winners first, or do I just unveil my top five all at once for the pe- for the kids who are watching from home? Uh, let's do that. So I have, oh, I already deleted number five here, but uh, number five, I have Mike Brown in Sacramento. Uh, just, I, I think if he staves off them being a bottom five defensive team, he's kind of all done his job, but just also the, the vibes that are emanating out of Sacramento. I just buy into it where like, maybe he's just really laying a cultural foundation to where the team understands how they're playing, what they're doing. Um, so they could win 37 games, make the play in, and he could still be a solid coach of the year candidate at a number four. I have Eric Spolster in Miami. I don't have a rhyme or reason for this other than like, he hasn't won this award yet. I don't believe. And it's weird that he hasn't because he might just be the best overall coach in the NBA. I'm worried about the heat after losing PJ Tucker, even looking at their bench, which proved to be deeper than last year, yet still feels flimsy this year because you're nudging Caleb Martin up um, into the starting ladder for PJ Tucker. And then also if, if you are playing Tyler hero there permanently as a starter, like now it's Victor Oladipo, who's your, your sixth guy. But that team just always overachieves during the regular season. I was wondering whether they're going to be top four. They finished with the best record in the East. So he just has to be there. Ty Lue uh, for the Clippers. I just, he's a really good coach and he's going to do some inventive offensive stuff. And I think the lineups he runs out are going to be, when you look at his personnel, those were probably going to be super creative and inventive. Um, and I just think when you look at his body of work, I mean, last season to have them um, in the realm of uh, making it like, into the play-in and then out of the play-in if Paul George doesn't get injured without a Kawhi Leonard dealing with injuries to Norman Powell after he came over. This is someone who I don't think he's un- underrated. Like He's probably properly rated. I think he can contend for this honor in any given year. Number two, I have Chris Finch. This is more like I'm super high on the Timberwolves for the regular season, and I feel like he's going to do some really ingenious offensive stuff, uh, especially with the two bigs on the court. Um, what you're going to see if you're worried about the shooting in some of the lineups. I think when you get deeper into their bench where there's a lot of concerns, that's where he could really shine there too. And then even in the one big lineups. Uh, so I'm just interested to see what that offense looks like, what they're doing in the half court. What does he do defensively? How do they balance you know, the ultra aggressive schemes they were playing last year with how Rudy Gobert is best suited this year and knowing you don't necessarily have to play hyper aggressive because he is behind you. Uh, and I think this team, because it's deemed experimental with the two bigs, I think Gobert and Carlton Towns are a cleaner fit than people are crediting. But if they wind up flirting with 50 wins, it's probably going to take some people aback, which is something I should mention about these. I try to combine my picks with predictions where it's like when we get to MVP, Nikola Jokic, I think, could be right there, but he's just not going to win again. And so I have to factor that. And like, they're just not voting for the same dude three times in a row at this point. My coach of the year pick is, and I'm very upset. I think this has probably become a little bit more popular. That's the danger of waiting so long to do these and not that I, anyone should take me as a forward thinker or adopt my ideals. I just didn't think I've seen a few people pick him already. I didn't think he was going to be a pick Willie green. I'm sold all the way on new Orleans, the way they defended um, with personnel that wouldn't necessarily intimate. They could defend well that way after their three and 16 start being able to get back in transition, um, taking care of the low hanging fruit when it, um, when it comes to just getting up on the glass, having Zion back could compromise that a little bit. And you have a full season of CJ McCollum, but, I'm like Zion looks like he's in great shape and it's, you know, never mind on the ball. If he can improve a little bit off the ball, I think that goes a long way for this team as well. And if, if he's able, Willie Green's coaching them into the, you know, the mid tier, the top six in the West, 
that's just a caps lock achievement. Uh, so I, I have him as winning coach of the year. That, I guess, is stepping out on a limb, but you can make a case. I could have probably went 10 deep on this. Just in any given year, it seems like it goes to the coach. It's, oh, it's either the best team or the team that overachieved the most. And so like there are a lot of coaches you can envision meeting that, that baseline criteria. Sixth man of the year, the award I hate the most, defensive player of the year I might hate the most because I feel like just full stop, the stuff that I understand about defense is just not granular enough um, for me to, you know, if I actually had a vote to make myself cast it. So that's the hardest. So I don't know if I hate it. the most. Sixth man of the year I hate because it's it could technically be the seventh, eighth man. It's almost like, you know, let's have, it doesn't matter if the guy's closing game, should he really be considered a sixth man? But it's an award, so we're going through it. At number five, I have Colin Sexton. I just don't know how long he's going to come off the bench in Utah for. But if he does, he's like carbon made to win this award. And they're going to have a ton of space around him in most lineups. Like, yeah, they could play Vanderbilt or Walker Kessler at the five. Um, Kessler might have a jump shot, though, for all we know. Uh, but like having Olenek and marketing being able in the front court with Clarkson and Conley and Malik Beasley and then Sexton himself, there's going to be a lot of space to operate. And so I think Utah could be a little bit better while they're together than expected on O, but it's how long are all these players on this team? How long is Colin Sexton coming off the bench? Um, I took a little bit of a risk here, but five is an unofficial number for the ballot. You normally go three deep, so I don't feel too bad. Uh, Norman Powell at number four, that's, you run into the same issue. Will he come off the bench enough in L.A.? Um, I think he will because the alternative would be, I think they'll futz and fiddle with Wall and Jackson before if there's an issue. And we know they're starting Reggie Jackson first. They have Kawhi and Paul George. They're going to start Zubats. And so I, I think for most of the season, they're going to want to gravitate towards Marcus Moore Sr. at the four. If he doesn't work out, I do feel like they're more inclined to go with maybe Batum or Covington. Um, and if they want to get smaller, do they then go with Terrence Mann instead? Norm Powell could technically be in the starting lineup. That's a risk there too. I will say the player I wanted to pick, I, I'll wait until the end. I'll wait until the end. But there's a player I want to pick. I'm just not convinced he's going to be coming off the bench for that long or enough. Number three, Malcolm Brogdon. This is probably low-hanging fruit one. I guess if you wanted to, he technically could be elevated to starter material in Boston with Robert Williams the third out. Maybe I'll need to adjust this pick there. But he just seems like a no-brainer. Gives you a lot of straight-line creation, some shooting, and he'll play enough to make an impact. Um, but again, if he winds up starting games, uh, we have to adjust because I wouldn't pick Derek White in his stead. Let's make that clear right now. And a lot of it, you know, it depends on so many different factors. I might have had him winning it if I was more clear on his role or if I felt better about Boston than I did. Um, their situation just evolved so much in the past month. Number two, Malik Monk in Sacramento, who I considered to win the award, but I think the first place one technically a no-brainer. Um, Sacramento's going to be so good on offense, and the spacing should just be bonkers. You play whoever you want at the five, and then it's just, unless you're trying to get away with some questionable wing minutes, but maybe Casey Alcala is going to end up hitting these threes. Monk, though, is going to have all the space to operate. Had a great year in Los Angeles. And I think there's going to be like just more of a license to go kaboom in Sacramento. Uh, I guess you can wonder how how big of a role is he going to play? Uh, if they're going to, like, are they staggering him a bunch from Davion Mitchell? Um, I ultimately think that he's just going to play enough because the top seven on this ro on that roster is what matters the most when you're looking at their start. Maybe even top eight if you want to throw Holmes in there, but you look at their top five of Barnes, Sabonis, Murray, Fox, um, Kevin Herter. You also have Davion Mitchell, Malik Monk. Who am I forgetting that's super obvious here right off the bat? I'm already like... I'm already going off the rails here. Holmes is there for sure. But regard there, there's wing questions about this team. Did I name Harrison Barnes there? If I forgot Harrison Barnes, I apologize. But I think Monk is going to play a prominent enough role there. And 
his scoring, his shooting, uh, his ability to like do things like off the dribble where maybe those assist numbers come up because Sacramento surrounding him with so much shooting. Like these bench lineups could even include Trey Lyles, the element of floor spacing that you're going to get from him. Uh, so I believe that he's probably going to end up being their most important bench player to me. That's from someone who's a little bit lower on uh, Davion Mitchell than the consensus. Uh, so I think he's going to be right in that mix. I just don't think ultimately that you're going to beat Jordan Poole. He's my number one pick. Will he come off the bench enough to qualify? Yes. I think the Warriors will just stagger. Like, it's not even stagger at that point. It might just be an early plug. If, it find, if they find they don't want to go with too much Kevon Looney and Draymond Green, or that they want to give it a different look with getting him in there for Clay Thompson even, or maybe Andrew Wiggins, it'll happen quickly. He'll play like 30-plus minutes per game. Um, I think he'll close a lot of games still. That was not the case in the playoffs. That might be something to watch, but for the regular season, he's the quintessential sixth man of the year. Uh, the player I want to pick here, I'm actually not going to get to because he's, as of right now, he's my most improved player pick. Uh, and I don't know if it's spicy or not, but number five, my most improved player ballot, Cam Johnson, starting in Phoenix, uh, beginning the season with some injury concerns and get an extension. That was weird, but now he's playing for his next contract officially. That matters. And either he and or Bridges are going to be saddled with more on-ball responsibility. I think I trust Mikel Bridges more when you're looking at like passing stuff, but when you're looking at Cam Johnson, shot creation, the types of shots that they can hit, I like him more. And so I could see him just really exploding. And his numbers have already been deflated enough to where if he does pop, it's going to help his most improved case even more. And I think his role becomes much more important this season, not just because Jay Crowder's not there, but the bench might suck. I mean, they have they have real NBA players on there. Don't get me wrong. Um, Mike Vigil was singing the praise of Jock, Land, uh, Jock Landale to me, thinks that I'm really going to like him. have not seen enough of him in preseason to comment on that. I am an Inish Wainwright guy. I don't actually know if he's going to play. But do you trust Landry Shamit? Do you trust Cameron Payne? Do you trust Torrey Craig? I like the idea of Damian Lee. Like, is, is that is it as good in, in practice, though? I I could not tell you. Um, Josh Okogie, I don't trust him really at all. Uh, Dario Sharks, let's see what he looks like. Bismack Biyombo had some quality minutes for them last year, but one... I know what I named, really. I guess you're looking at Craig and Sharich and Akogi and, and Lee. Like, if you're talking about the wing minutes, that's where you're going to impact or infringe upon Cam Johnson's importance the most. Uh, and I just don't think there's anyone on the roster that can come close to doing that right now. I wouldn't be shocked if people have them higher on their ballots or if he actually won this award, to be quite frankly. That's the other thing. If you're on this ballot, I, like, I, I see a, a pathway to you winning the award. Number four... Tyrese Halliburton, I'm just wondering if he can get better enough on an Indiana team that will eventually be tanking to win. Um, I think that whether or not he's more aggressive as a shot taker and maker, just the passing is beautiful from him. I think he can control and run in offense. Um, I think he can do a lot of stuff out of isolation. I think you're going to see more complicated off the dribble, uh, not moves because he has those, but shots that he'll hit. And if the Pacers are a little bit better than expected in the interim, that will buoy his case. But he's just... I think this guy's the real deal. Like, I think he's a future All-NBA candidate, if not outright selections at some point. I'm just wondering if, if the baseline is too high for him already to where he's not going to play in enough games or the Pacers aren't going to be good enough to get an attention or more likely we're dealing with some Tyrese Halliburton breaks. Now, they did play him through the end of last season. It's just a little bit different when the tanking is going to be as aggressive as it will be this year. That's the level of thought I'm putting into this, if anybody cares. Maybe you view that as just this surface-level bullshit, but... That's the level of thought I'm putting into it. Number three on MIP, Wendell Carter Jr. I am pretty bullish about this. Averages like 15 points, three assists per game last year on, on relatively efficient scoring. Did a better job of hitting the three ball as the season went on. He's around more talent this year. Uh, Franz Wagner is a year older. You have Paolo Bancaro. 
The guard play is still going to be iffy. Uh, Jalen Suggs doesn't look like there's a long-term injury concern there. Marco Fultz, we know that he's dealing uh, with, what was it, a thumb injury? It came track of all the injuries that were coming out. My point being, there's going to be a lot of touches for Wendell Carter Jr., who did a lot of stuff when you're looking at facilitation, some of the plays he was making out of the pick and roll, later season being able to stretch the floor. There's also, like, when you compare him to other bigs, there's more north-south jet fuel to him for me, where he doesn't need a running start to get going. Like, he is someone who will absolutely just take you and go off there and then make you know can make plays out of that situation or create for himself there. I think that he could end up in the all-star conversation in the East. And if he does that, he's probably going to be in the most improved player discussion. I think that he improved a great deal last year, but that the baseline isn't so high, or at least his ceiling is still far away enough for me. I can see him contending there. And look, a lot of people, I don't know how I feel about this. I feel like we might be rushing to coordinate how good Pablo Bancaro is. A lot of people think the magic are going to be better than expected. Wouldn't shock me. They have a lot of intriguing talent here. And if they're just hovering around the fringes of the play-in, uh, that's going to help him get attention for MIP. Kind of a stab in the dark, but I'm pretty bullish on how good Wendell Carter Jr. is. Number two, LaMelo Ball was my pick. I don't even know if I should have him on this list. Uh, he's dealing with the ankle stuff to start the year. Not projected to miss a ton of time, but I am convinced the Hornets are not going to be good this season. And so I'm curious as to whether he'll be brought along slowly or if he'll miss a mysterious amount of games as they try and enter the Victor Wembanyama Scoot Henderson sweepstakes. And then even if he's going to play a bunch at full bore, what does that kind of look like? Not coming back from the ankle injury, but with what this team sort of looks like around him with a lot of inexperience at the five or just not enough raw talent there. Uh, I do think, though, that this is someone who has shown so much already. And if he can make any improvement as an on-ball defender, I think we've seen that he does a lot of stuff off the ball there. His passing is transcendent. I think he has a better, more um, expansive scoring package than people credit him for. There's been a lot of talk about whether he needs the off the dribble three. I think he's actually shown a little bit more with it than people give him credit. I also don't think he needs it when you look at the havoc he can create when going downhill, also away from the ball as a shooter. If he is in fact stronger and working on his finishing and getting to the foul line more, this is someone who can make that transition into star slash superstar territory this year. I think for him, it's not a matter of skill. It's opportunity and whether the, the Hornets are going to give him enough. That's what makes some of these awards super tough. The ones that aren't uh, traditionally tied to winning, and look, there was, I called it sixth man of the year. How about that? Um, sixth man of the year. I just fixed the typo for anyone who cares. Uh, I, I think it just comes down to the matter of opportunity is where I'm at, and I don't, I don't know how to feel about that. That's what makes these awards, as I was saying, so tough, especially the ones that aren't necessarily tied to winning. You know, coach of the year, okay, we can eliminate guys from tanking. But six man of the year, most improved player, rookie of the year, it's more of a free-for-all there. And I'm not saying team success needs to be everything. When you get into the subject of tanking specifically, that really does impact the volume at which a player is, is going to see time and opportunity. My number one pick, who is also my six man of the year pick, but I don't think that he's, I think he's ultimately not going to be on the, oh, he was my runner-up in six man of the year, excuse me. I don't think he's going to come off the bench enough. I think this team fucks with its lineups a ton to start. And I could also see him just being a starter by year's end. I am sold on the Precious Achua experience. Uh, he is just, I, I don't, he's an enigma in the best possible way. When you look at, look, we talk about the shooting last year, ends up jacking up his attempts, shot almost 36%, shot like 40% to close the year. What he can do is just this ultra switchable defender at every level. It's like he's a stopper at every level on defense, which is just so, 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 so rare. And then, 
we saw it a little bit last season, but we saw it this preseason. And I got into it with um, Aman Adon when we were talking about uh, the Raptors on our look ahead. Like, he's just, there's like a, a standstill creation game to him now, where you don't need to have him grab the ball for rebound and go and transition, although he will do that. Give him the ball in the half court and have him initiate. I don't know that I want him running pick and rolls. I don't want him entrusted with facilitating for others. But in the preseason, he took and hit like some just spinning in between shots. He's able to back guys down with like maybe not the, the highest level of coordination, but with this speed that puts a lot of pressure on the basket. And if he's going to be someone who can work from the outside in while hitting jumpers, while getting out in transition, sometimes with the ball in his hands, while also switching all over the place, covering every level of defense. You need to be a rim protector? Okay. You need to cover a point guard? Fine. Muck up plays in the middle? Sure. I don't, like, most improved is typically reserved for, oh, they just made the, the they graduated from fringe stardom to actual all-stardom or something. I get it. I'm not ruling it out for him. I think he's just going to catch a lot of people maybe by surprise this year who weren't paying attention to the a good chunk of his season last year. And look, he this is not me being out in front on him. Raptors fans are all over him, of course. But I thought that that was the most curious trade that Toronto made when it was for Kyle Lowry. And it ends up that they might have gotten the single most valuable asset out of it. That's no disrespect to Kyle Lowry. He looks healthier, just getting a little older. So um, I would just keep an eye on Precious Achua. This is someone who I could see being a mainstay, not just in closing units, but as a starter. And as a lot of people already touched upon, he he's probably already the best defender on this roster. Now, how much are they going to look to groom him as opposed to, well, Scotty Barnes and Fred Van Fleet and Pascal Siakam are already there. That's really not that many guys though. Once you think about it, how, how many on ball reps are they trusting um, with Gary Trent Jr. And coming off the bench might actually aid his case here because he would have more offensive volume, but because Precious Achua seems to scale to every type of offensive situation and defense as well, because any type of offensive role at this point, I'm just, Keep keep your eye on Precious Achua. That's the pick I'm going with. And that I think that's probably my spiciest pick of this in, entire thing. Number five on Rookie of the Year, uh, Terry Eason. I'm aboard the train there. I think he this dude is just going to be like very good rookie uh, as a rookie defender. And because the, the Rockets are like, they don't have these true wings, I think he'll wind up playing a pretty big role for them. And I also don't think the learning curve will just be as steep for him as it will be for Jabari Smith Jr., who I think his best skill set right now or best role will be as a play finisher on offense. And then they're going to try and have him do just really complicated things on defense, particularly when he's playing with Alperen Shangun. I just think it, while he by far and away is the higher ceiling, it might take him a little longer to come along. Number four here, Keegan Murray. I think a lot of people are going to pick Keegan Murray ultra plug and play the way he moves without the ball for Sacramento uh, in summer league. From what I saw was just absolutely incredible going to be able to knock down shots right away for them. He should be fine defensively. I just don't know that I trust him to actually cover wings. I think defense really isn't that important when we're, if we're being honest, when we're talking about rookie of the year to begin with. I'm just wondering if he has enough scoring volume or a playing time volume. I don't think Mike Brown will give him a quick hook, but like that hierarchy in Sacramento is pretty crowded with Barnes and Simonis and Fox uh, and Kevin Herter and then Malik Monk coming off the bench. I'm just wondering if some of his offensive production can be artificially repressed and if his role is going to be and you could factor this in but like will he be more of a decoy and not have the county numbers to really get involved there uh, still top five for him would be pretty good wouldn't shock me if he won it i think that you could probably name if you told me Eason won rookie of the year i guess i'd be a little bit surprised but if you just told me like any of these other guys and even people that don't make this list like jabari smith jr if he just hits right away 
Jeremy Sohan at number three, I'm convinced. He just feels like a very good connective player. And if his jumper improves at all, or he shows anything with it this season, I might be ready to, to vault him up these standings a little bit. I think he's already going to give the Spurs a lot of defensive malleability. Um, I think he's going to be, he has a nice feel for the game, even when he's not taking it like a dribble as a passer. And if you can create space or get him out in transition into the lane where he can make plays for others, I think he's going to shine. And I do think the opportunity will be there. I've still gone back and forth on whether I think the Spurs will play their really inexperienced kids enough. Whether it's Josh Primo, I get it. Um, he'll play a bunch as a sophomore, but they've always been a little bit more uh, judicial with their their rookies. I just don't think that's going to happen this year. Also, I nudged him up at least a few points in my head because of the the hair color. Uh, and no, I, I don't regret that for anyone who's asking. Benedict Mathurin at number two. He's been a fairly popular pick to win it. Uh, he has, and this is, take this with a grain of salt, just because anyone who probably paid attention to college basketball knew this. Based off Summer League, I he has a lot more on-ball juice to offer than I really just ever envisioned. And he's going to see, I think, a lot of wing minutes since the Pacers just are anti-wing at this point. There's Aaron Neesmith, and like that's basically it. Do you consider O'Shea Brissett a wing? I, I don't know that I'd go that far. Um, so he's like more of a 2.5, I guess. This dude can score. And if they put the ball in his hands, like it wouldn't shock me if he's just, yeah, it could be rough for some moments, but can he work himself into the discussion by the end of the year, like the way Jalen Green did, where he's just putting up these gaudy, efficient numbers because it's really coming together for him? What if he does that a little bit earlier because he has a, a primary ball handling partner that Jalen Green did not have? Like that's not Kevin Porter Jr. John Wall wasn't playing. Uh, Dennis Schroeder for part of the year doesn't count. Um, Josh Christopher, eh. So, it just wouldn't surprise me if he is the actual winner of this award. It was actually tough for me to choose here because the player I actually went with with Paolo Bancaro, low hanging fruit. I believe so much in him, but now I'm wondering when you look at the guard play, some of the injury concerns on this roster, are they going to put too much on him? Much like they did with Jalen Suggs last year, which contributed in addition to injuries, have him having that sort of, you know, stop and start rookie season where he just wasn't super efficient. It could take longer for it to come together, but I just, I believe in Paolo Bancaro. We're talking mega star material. That's what I see as the outcome for him. Having someone with his size who can create the way that he does. He's probably already Orlando's best passer. Is it like, I don't know how you feel about Suggs or Wendell Carter Jr. There. Like, do you really, or do you feel that strongly about Cole Anthony? Um, so Paolo Bancaro, I don't, I can at least just, if this loses, I can at least justify picking it because he was just the number one overall pick. I am wondering if I've rushed it though, because he's going to have such a high profile role. Does he need time for it to come together? That being said, like you gave Cade Cunningham a high profile role last year. If he doesn't miss part of the year due to injuries and plays in just as many games as, uh, and minutes as Scotty Barnes and Evan Mobley, uh, does he win the award? I don't know. So I'm, I, I just feel like Orlando is going to give him like complete control over the offense from day one, or at least as much as he wants it. And there's enough talent around him that I think can augment him. If Jalen Suggs has a bounce back year, Franz Wagner is already really good. Wendell Carter Jr. is really good. Having two caliber players like that around him is a big deal. Questions about the shooting, some of the lineups they will run. I ultimately trust him to just uh, really make waves on the offensive end. It wouldn't shock me if he led the magic this season in both points and assists. And those numbers aren't everything, but it would be a pretty big harbinger of how good, of a year he's having number five on defensive player of the year. I have Evan Mobley. I mean, Evan Mobley just everywhere all at once, all over the place. Just absolutely monstrous. I do. If the Cavs have a really good defense this season while playing a lot of Mitchell and Garland together, but also while maybe not skewing all the way defense at the three where it's 
oh, did they try and get away with Jetty Osman for too many minutes there? Uh, like, if they go that route, or if they play a bunch of Karis LeVert like, with those two and then the defense is still good, Evan Mobley's probably going to be the primary reason why, just because we keep talking about, well, who's their wing defender? Who's their wing defender that can, you know, Isaac Okoro's good, but can he hit enough of his threes or make, you know, are they going to create enough space to generate him to get moving downhill off the ball? Uh, fair questions. Evan Mobley is just like, your, you want him to be your point of attack defender, your wing defender, your big, fine. Uh, he is, I think he probably deserved to be, I don't know where he finished, uh, but he probably deserved to be in like the top five or six of this last year. Uh, I think I might have had him on one of my all defense teams. Uh, make of that what you will. Number four, Rudy Gobert. I think he might be, there are two ways to look at this. If Minnesota is just really fucking good when they get him, it's kind of this vindication for Rudy Gobert. But I also wonder if people go the route of trying to discredit him where this dude's already won 30 times. Now he has better defensive talent around him because of Jane McDaniels, Kyle Anderson, all of those two probably should never play together. And then even Anthony Edwards. Um, I think you, there's something might argue, like you probably heard that Angelo Russell put up a lot more defensive resistance than Donovan Mitchell last year. So I think that works against him, but it could also work for him. I think he's more likely, this would be my, and maybe it's, it's ass backwards, but maybe not. Maybe it's because the offense outranks the defense. He's more likely to finish to me top 10 on the MVP ballot than top five on the defensive player of the year ballot this year. That's probably a dumb prediction, but I think people are going to use that to, Oh, well he just had more talent in Minnesota this year. Like whatever. Uh, he could certainly be in the mix there though. Number three, uh, apparently doesn't want to show. And I, I deleted them. Number three is I'm doing this for the benefit of people that are watching. I just don't want them to not know who is there. Um, also did I forget who's to say uh, number three, Giannis Antetokounmpo. I considered having him win. The award, I'm just, with Brooke coming back, that helps him playing his best role, but does it also take away from his case? I'm just worried that, not that he's going to break down, I want to make that clear, but that Milwaukee might not care about the regular season enough at this point, and maybe we even see some pullback on the way that Giannis is used, and then if Brooke Lopez gets injured or has to miss time, like Giannis all of a sudden becomes like your primary big in those situations, which might be your best the best version of yourself for the postseason, maybe the best, definitely the best version of yourself on offense. Does it displace him from his best defensive role? Which is no, you're not necessarily the primary big, but you're not, you're not the, like, you're just, you're all over the place everywhere. All at once is the best way that he could play. You don't even want him to be, yeah, you can go up against certain guys one-on-one, but that's not what you want him to do. I just splitting hairs here. Any one of these, especially the four, I think you can argue would, win the award. Draymond Green at two. I wanted to pick him to win. I'm just curious as to how much the Warriors allow him, Clay, Steph to play during the regular season. I'm after talking to Samus Vindiari from Light Years, after reading um Marcus Thompson, after listening to the Light Years podcast, after just reading a bunch of Warriors stuff and knowing how much that they're going to invest in uh I guess development with James Wiseman and Jonathan Kaminga, do you see sort of the minutes for Draymond Green getting a little bit repressed. Does he get injured again? He seemed like a lock to win defensive player of the year last year. Then there's the whole punching Jordan Poole thing. Does that make him play better? Does him being the only one not getting an extension out of Wiggins, Poole, and himself make him play better or worse? Is there this undercurrent of tension? Uh, so does he like actually not, not up to snuff there? Is there a drop-off defensively from Golden State that's unfairly attributed to him because they're playing so many youngsters? Uh, again, I think the Warriors are going to have a damn good to great defense, which has been their identity for a lot of this dynasty. Um, Steph Curry is their identity, and he just gets conflated with offense, and that's why everyone assumes it's they've been thermonuclear on offense a bunch of the times, but they've been a defensive team first and foremost through a lot of 
this run and green is at the center of it all, regardless of how you feel about him as a, a leader at this point and what he did to, to Jordan Poole. I just, I question the, if it's not the commitment to the regular season for the team, uh, can he stay healthy? Like he's, he seemed to have dealt with stuff over time. And like I said, even if it's not that does some of the new faces are having to play with alongside more youth where it's Moses Moody. Um, but presumably Jordan Poole is going to play a lot more and he's not a good defender, but with Jonathan Kaminga and James Wiseman specifically, does that hurt you? At all, I'm just really trying to come up with ways to not pick him. It's hard to justify. Bam Adebayo at number one. This is probably a little bit of a risk because I think Bam Adebayo might be. It's him or Giannis or Draymond are the single most important and impactful playoff defenders. I'm wondering if he loses something during the regular season. I think last year uh, he was heroic enough on that end to where he probably could have won the award as well. And so you look at Miami's structure; they need him to do even more if they still have this great defense without PJ Tucker, while you're playing a lot of Tyler hero um, when Caleb Martin is slated to be your four who Caleb Martin is solid, but do you want him being your four? If there's any drop off from Kyle Lowry, because he's, you know, 40 years old at this point, I think that goes as a vote in, in Bam's favor. See if he's able to uplift this defense when Miami's rotation kind of outside its top four guys is just so questionable this year uh, and look maybe you feel differently if you're in love with victor aladipo or you know gabe vincent max Struess. they have guys that they can lean on but you know none of the people i named just now are these defensive wonderkins and yeah like seeking to spend time with omar year seven on this um i know a lot of people are high on haywood highsmith's defense so maybe i'm underrating that is duncan robinson part of the rotation if he is that's a lot to have uplifted but i think that bam is you know, really set. They've put a lot on him, I think, with the loss of P.J. Tucker, and I would expect him to deliver. Uh, I think we're going to get a, a huge year from Bam Adebayo. I don't know about offensively. I'd like to see him take more shots, even though that argument sounds like it might oversimplify it. The MVP discussion, and I'm about to reveal fifth place before I reveal my 6 through 10. Let's reveal 6 through 10 all at once. Uh, okay, 10, I have Pascal Siakam. I toyed with putting him even higher in this. I hopefully don't know if he'll get to that level I could see him. He is like the single most important offensive player on the Raptors to me. Just trading off with Fred Van Fleet, maybe in a little bit more Scotty Barnes, eat into that importance. And then, of course, making room for Precious Achua. Jason Tatum at nine. Just don't know what to expect from the Celtics this year. I'm not I'm not going to lie. He might have to play some center. Uh, do his defensive assignments get a little bit tougher now that Robert Williams III isn't uh, going to be in that role that Udoka had put him in in the middle of last year? I guess he could come back. And this isn't, you know, if you need Robert Williams III, to help you boost your MVP case. We're, you know, we're just splitting hairs here. Uh, but I do wonder if do we see his offensive totals slip a little bit because they are a little bit more reliant on having Malcolm Brogdon and Derek White to create. Maybe even giving Jalen Brown a little bit more. Maybe Marcus Smart, Smart is a little bit more available. Uh, this might feel a touch too low for him. What I have to factor in with these rankings, though, I will make clear, the teams have to be really good. Like you're just, we saw the Nuggets, Nicole Jokic, 48 wins, kind of feels like the like 46, 48 territory. And so that's why... Some other names might not have been considered. I have Zion Williamson at eight. That's probably a bigger jump over Tatum. Can he be one of the, you know, seven to 11 or 12 best players in basketball, which is what you probably need to win MVP? Yes. I mean, we saw him become an all NBA candidate in year two when he was available. Uh, if he's going to put up that same production on that same efficiency while getting better on defense and the Pelicans shoot up to top four in the West, which I do think is possible for them. Uh, he's going to be right there. Joel Embiid at seven. I think that he and James Harden are going to cannibalize consideration more than most people think. 
we're all just assuming this is Joel Embiid's team that James Harden is cooked. He's done being a top 10 to 15 player. Uh, he's more like the you know 16th to 27th best player in the league. I'm not ready to go there yet with James Harden. That's not an insult to Joel Embiid. You also have to play the availability stuff here. He missed uh, a career low 14 games last season. Can you count on him to do that again, knowing how banged up he was come playoffs? I have Nikola Jokic at six. Maybe this is ceremonial. I think realistically, he probably should be higher because of how good he is. And if the Nuggets are as good as they're going to be, I just don't think that people are going to vote for him. Like, fair, fair or not. I don't think that you're, they're going to vote for him. So I might have him personally higher on my ballot, but I'm doing predictions here. Number five is James Harden. That's also why I have Joel Embiid low. I'm going to I'm gonna lean into this. Maybe I'm just being seduced by his MVP odds, which I think were at like plus 8,000 last time I checked. Uh, why do we think he's done? Like, let's He's in shape. Not dealing with a hamstring injury at the moment. And as far as we know, he's not going to go on an effort strike this year, like the past two seasons, so that he can get to another team. And that alone is just huge. It's a regular season award, too. Maybe the way he's played in the playoffs past, you know, the ball couldn't get back to him, you know, that kind of taints the way that people view him. Maybe Joel Bede's importance on defense, coupled with what he does on offense, uplifts him over James Harden. I just don't. I see that we might have a year or two left of close to Houston Rockets, James Harden. And knowing how good the Sixers are going to be, knowing how much he opens up for everyone else, even if he's scoring a little bit less, I think he could firmly end up in this in this discussion. Luka Doncic at four. He is the betting favorite, I believe, and he's probably going to be one of, if not the most popular pick. He has the Jokic case going for him right now, which is the team around him got worse uh, just by losing Jalen Brunson. And since the supporting cast is so unimpressive to begin with, if he's able to prop up the Mavericks to play like a top four or five team in this West, where the healthy Nuggets and Clippers are there, where the Nuggets and the Suns are there, where the Grizzlies are still sort of hanging around, where the Timberwolves and the Pelicans are rising, where the Lakers trade rosters or something, that becomes a big deal. And uh, I wouldn't shock me if he won it. I just, not that I think Dallas is going to tank. I question whether they're going to be good enough for him to win it. But I do recognize that like their biggest offseason addition right now was him getting a personal chef. Because if he's coming in in just great shape and ready to tear it up, uh, yeah, we saw what he did last year where he kind of willed himself into that like fringe top five consideration. That was with having like two months of the season just sort of thrown away where he was playing his way into shape. So uh, this is tough. It was tough to place him. The next one, I think a lot of people will have Devin Booker, who I have at number three, uh, behind Doncic. I think that might be fair. I'm expecting a massive year from Booker and maybe it's not enough because there are so many questions about the Suns, or maybe they're focusing on giving Aiton and Johnson and Bridges different kind of touches. I fully believe that Devin Booker is going to have to be used as even more of a floor general this season with CP three getting up there with the questionable depth. Uh, he finished was a fourth or fifth on the MVP ballot last year. I would have him hovering around the same instance here. I do tend to be higher on Devin Booker. I just look at the attention that he's able to draw when he's on or away from the ball, the different forms that his offense can take, whether you actually need him to be passing off of live dribbles and going downhill or just snaking into the middle and, and like mutilating defenses from there. You'd like to see his rim volume go up a little bit more. I'm just convinced one of these seasons he's going to shoot like 43% on four pull-up three-point attempts per game or something. I just wouldn't rule it out. And knowing that CP3 is a year older, that the Suns are shallower, is this someone who could average 30-plus points and like six-plus assists per game or seven-plus assists? I think that that's his ceiling this year because they need it. And he's not someone, maybe you don't care about the regular season as much, but you're more likely to curb the minutes of a Chris Paul, which then is going to inflate the, uh, you know, the, the criticality of, of Devin Booker. So you're not going to enforce a minutes cap on him. 
we have to see how invested they are in doing that. And the idea that we need to see more of Devin Booker is a, I don't want to say traditional point guard. We've seen him be the primary playmaker before, but like in these actual, just slow it down. There is no other option on the court. Like there's been limited lineup sample size with that. And even when he's used like that, feels like he's also playing off someone. I'm talking no campaign, no Chris Paul on the floor, lean into some bigger lineups where he's actually your point guard. I'm just, this might be me stepping out a limb similar with James Harden. I think it's just going to be a gargantuan season from him. And maybe I'm also trying to counteract how low people are on the Suns. Number two is Steph Curry. He was my pick and you could move him down if you want. And I'd listen to you. I think they're probably going to rest him more than anybody else on the team, or at least conserve him because of how important he is. We're talking about someone who is going into his, his mid thirties now, but I just like, People were kind of down on him last year because he didn't shoot a trillion percent from three. I just feel like he's going to have, I don't want to say, I'm just going to throw out monster season again here. It's just, he doesn't have anything to prove and they're coming off a title, but man, with all the, do we use the Draymond Jordan pool thing to, to do they use it to rally around Steph Curry? And then that narrative gets painted because MVP a lot of the times is narrative. I'm really not taking that in. If you told me Steph was going to play in 67 to 68 games, 69 games. If you told me Steph was going to play in 70, I'd pick him. So, like, let's boost the number. I'm picking MVP here. So if you told me that Steph was going to play in 70 games, I would give the MVP to him. I just don't know if he's going to. I don't know that the Warriors have made his job any easier, by the way. Jordan Poole's yet to run a league average offense or better when Steph Curry's off the floor for his career. I don't think that's saying much because last year's Jordan Poole was like, the there was, his first year was throwaway. His second year was like, didn't really get going until later. And then last year was the real full season where it's like, oh, that needed to be the guy during those minutes. I think he's more equipped to do that this year. And they have some interesting players around him with the partnership with Dante DiVincenzo, if they play those two together, or if there's the pick and roll chemistry that he gets going with James Wiseman. I'm not ruling it out, but I just don't think that the Warriors have done much, if anything, to assuage their reliance on Steph offensively this year. Jordan Poole is that next in line, having a full year of Klay Thompson. Maybe you trust Andrew Wiggins to do some more stuff on the ball for you. Not ruling it out. I just think that we're going to once again look at, it's not just this wild swing in performance when he's off the court, but that the Warriors offense might be just so measurably worse that we can't deny it. Uh, still, I I couldn't bring myself to pick him. Mostly because there are a lot of people who cover the Warriors or follow the Warriors, a lot, multiple people that just talked me out of it for this reason. And so I put him at two. He probably should be lower based off what they said. So my MVP, my actual MVP pick is Frank Neal. No, I went with Giannis Antetokounmpo. I think the stage is sort of set for maybe him to win the narrative award. We could look, we could assume he's pissed off because he didn't win the title. And he's just always been like the best player is the last one standing or whatever, but also just Chris Middleton's missing time to start the season. Pat Connaughton's out for a while. The Bucks' depth is in question regardless. Uh, they just need Giannis Antetokounmpo to be Giannis Antetokounmpo even more so. And if we're also going to pepper in some improvement or him continuing to broaden his offensive horizons where we saw him just have more of a mid-range game last year, just some counters to counters, maybe he gets to a point where he's actually looking for those shots rather than taking it because the defense has backed off and just casually dribbling into it. Like Maybe that's something he gets to and gets off at a higher processing speed. It's like, honestly, just game over there. I really flirted with picking him to win defensive player of the year and MVP again. That's just the type of ceiling that he has to do it twice. Uh, but I do think that he gives the Bucks a level of stability, even amid all these injuries, even with offensive concerns for Drew Holiday, who, by the way, is kind of a dynamo in the regular season, just 
hit his step backs at an astronomical clip last year. It was over 40%. And he took a good amount of them. And his effective field goal percentage was like close to 70 or some shit like that on them. Uh, but like there isn't a ton of safety nets here in Milwaukee. And yet I still think pretty confidently they're going to have one of the, like if their, their floor feels like third in the East to me, maybe they, maybe they increase their don't give a fuck factor here, but I felt like they were there last year, or at least they were dealing with enough sort of in and out of the lineup, not having Brooke. And they still just like kind of stumble their way into 51 games and technically tied for the second best record in the East. Um, this is a team where if its defense is going to be better through and through, they will certainly be good enough for Giannis to get the attention. Just, I don't know that maybe we do we have Giannis voter fatigue because he's won twice already. I don't think we're there yet. And this is just the best player in the world um, by a pretty substantial margin now. The only one that I have really in the same realm as him would be Jokic, Doncic, Steph. I guess if you want to go Kevin Durant here, but availability is a thing. And he's just, there is no one who is so dominant at both ends of the court like him. It's not me calling him a two way player, it's this is someone who can win, who can lead the league in scoring while winning defensive player of the year. That's like, you know, are we about to see Giannis average 30 plus eight assists while contending for defensive player of the year? That is his, like, that's not even his, I don't want to put a ceiling on him, but like, that's a scenario you can envision for Giannis. I think the, it's all lined up in Milwaukee to where they're going to have to rely on him to such an extent that if he's not in the discussion, top two, three, four or five of this, like they're, they're, they're probably in a little bit of trouble. And so I'm always just going to trust in Giannis, who to me is just the, the best player in the NBA by a substantial margin. Apologies to LeBron James for bouncing you from the top 10. Uh, I think that's only the third time in your career you'd be left out of the top 10 or second time since your rookie season, whatever it is. I don't trust the Lakers here. Like I can't consider Anthony Davis in there. Those are my awards picks. Let me know what you think on Twitter or the comment section of YouTube. Please, if you made it all the way here, remember to subscribe. Um, hit that sub button on YouTube comment and like the videos to help us you know break the algorithm make the algorithm love us back however you want to frame it so subscribe to us on apple spotify stitcher google wherever you get your podcast download the episode ratings and reviews help a ton there as well until next time and as always I leave you with a shout out to one the only the indelible the actual mvp who's in a class of his own even though i didn't pick him frank guillotine